The first thing is not to start with Charlie Parker. That's like starting with advanced calculus. That's today's guest, veteran jazz educator Jerry Tolson, helping us avoid a common pitfall when introducing jazz music to our students. Welcome to Music Ed Insights. I'm Alan Fire, here with Steve Shanley. Each episode, Alan and I talk with national thought leaders in music education with practical insights for K-12 music educators. Steve, tell us about our guest. Jerry Tolson has been a member of the music faculty at the University of Louisville since 1993. As professor of jazz studies and music education, he directs instrumental and vocal jazz ensembles, teaches jazz pedagogy, jazz style, jazz history, and African-American music classes. Find Jerry's full bio, show notes, and resources at www.musicedinsights.com. Alan, what was a high point for you in this interview? There's a host of practical ideas to implement a walk-before-you-run approach to improv, right down to specific listening examples and scales to intentionally avoid. What did you dig, Steve? I appreciated Jerry's debate on the technical precision versus style, which I think is applicable to all types of musical ensembles. But I especially keep coming back to the fact that even though jazz music was invented and transformed primarily by black artists, today we see very few new publications by black jazz band composers. Dr. Tolson tells us why. His emphasis on simplicity delivered with deliberation is a lesson I wish I had learned early in my career. Let's get to this conversation. Jerry Tolson, welcome to the program. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Many people would argue that over the last hundred years or so, jazz was invented and subsequently modified primarily by black musicians. Therefore, it stands to reason that jazz lends itself a bit more naturally to the recent trend in music education to be more sensitive to issues surrounding diversity, equity, inclusion, and access. So my first question to you is, do you agree with the idea that jazz is, at its essence, black music? Uh, Definitely, I do, because uh, it was originated by African-Americans, and it was a way for them to express themselves when they couldn't in other ways. And so it really has been something that has come out of the Black culture, not only musically, but also in terms of their lives. In the first part of your response, you answered in referencing African-Americans. I'm curious, does African-American, Black, are those synonymous to you? Do you prefer one to another? Where do you weigh in on that? Well, those terms have been discussed over a long period of time. And the key to it is to be aware of what the person that you're speaking with prefers. Historically, Black was more popular in the 1970s during the uh, Black Pride movement and Black Panther movement. African-American has become more common in recent years, but either one is acceptable. But you just make sure that whoever you're talking to is comfortable with the terminology that you're using. Early on in the pandemic and shortly after the George Floyd murder, the president of Jazz Education Network sent out a message to all of us suggesting that we try to program more music by black composers. And I was thinking to myself in a jazz band, why wouldn't you be doing that already anyway? That just seemed like a no brainer to me. And then as I started to do some research, I discovered that 
around the country, you might go to jazz festivals and hear music by jazz bands that's Stan Kenton, Glenn Miller, primarily by white composers. So I'm curious, have you noticed that? Do you feel there is a place for some important white composers, performers? I'm just kind of curious on how that has all fit into your philosophy as well. It is true that over time, and it started primarily with the swing era, when white musicians became more popular than black musicians. And swing being the big band era, it's not surprising that a lot of the music that bands play today comes from that era and is by white composers. Also, if you look at publishers' websites, if you're listening to bands playing contemporary composers, current composers, there are not very many African-American composers that have things published. So in that sense, it's not surprising to hear bands playing music by only white composers. But if they are paying true homage to the music and its origins, then they should be playing music by African-American composers because that's where the music began. And that's where the essence of the music is. It's, it's always been an outgrowth of Black culture. And if you want to expose your students to diversity, then that's a part of the understanding. And realistically, we can talk about white musicians being a part of jazz from the beginning because there were white musicians in New Orleans at the start of jazz, and they were very popular and very competent, although the ones that got the most attention were more imitative, speaking about the original Dixieland Jazz Band specifically. But there were very competent white players in New Orleans, and when they moved to Chicago as a part of the Great Migration, they were working in jazz as well. It's just that when jazz became a big moneymaker, the money tended to go to white bands, white band leaders, white artists. But if you want to be true to the essence of the music, you definitely look back and you play African-American composers who often didn't get the notoriety. I'm embarrassed that I am now noticing exactly what you just said, that if we go on to publishers' websites and search for jazz music, most of that is being written by white composers and arrangers. Why do you suppose that is? If you look at jazz in general, if you look at the students who are coming out of schools that have jazz programs, the majority of students who are coming out of those programs are not African-American. They're white or they're international students. And that goes back to school programs. If you look at school band programs, the number of African-American students who are involved in those programs is not very large. So if they're not involved in the high school programs, they're not going to be involved in the college programs, which means they're not going to come out and be involved in writing the music. If you look at the general population of jazz musicians, you're going to find that it, it is trending more and more white because of school programs. What can we do about that? What can a teacher who wants to do better, who's in a school with a diverse student body, but not a diverse band, choir, orchestra program? A lot of it has to do with access, because when you think about it, it's not the case in all situations, but in many situations, African-American families don't have the wherewithal to pay for lessons and to get that quality instrument that a student can sound good on. That's one of the things. So if lessons can be provided for the students, that will help. And also paying attention and acknowledging music that is from their culture. And even, you know, not necessarily for your festival programs, but programming music that is more contemporary, programming a smooth jazz tune, programming a hip hop tune, that's going to be appealing because for the most part, African-American students haven't really heard this music because there's no place to hear it. And so if they haven't been exposed to it, they're not going to want to get involved in it. 
I've had the pleasure of watching you on a couple of panels over the last year, and one thing that I have noticed is that in addition to the polarized political climate, there is almost a polarization happening musically in the jazz band setting, where we have two camps. In one, it's educators and performers placing this high value on precision, accurate notes, rhythms, pitch, what an acceptable sound is. And then in the other, it's this camp who place a high value on the feel, that you know what when you hear it sound where the precision is just not as important should this be a debate what role do you think race is playing in this debate what have you noticed in this regard um it's not really a debate because just because you focus on the field doesn't mean that you're not focusing on precision because if you listen to the great bands that were swinging hard chick webb count basie fletcher henderson all of those bands swung really hard and they were primarily at the outset, African-American bands. There really shouldn't be a polarization, but I realized that there is. And part of it is, is that we have a lot of directors who are coming from their classical and European training, and that's all about recreating what's on the page. And jazz has always been about approximating and interpreting what's on the page. The page is not the end all in jazz. And in classical music, the page is the end all. So it's not surprising if you come from a classical background that you focus on that because that's the type of training that you get. We're very fortunate. I get to teach a required course for my music majors you know, with jazz methods for the music education majors. It's not like it's hard, but it's, it's understanding a concept that's a little bit foreign to it. For the young director or maybe the director who mid-career has decided, I need to do a better job with jazz band or the jazz genre in general, and they weren't fortunate to go to Louisville and have you as a teacher, where should they start with this? And I know one of the things is you got to listen to the music, you got to know how the language is spoken, and I certainly don't want to discount the importance of that, because to be honest, sometimes saying, oh yeah, just listen to this Charlie Parker, that can be really overwhelming for someone who has never done that before. So if someone came to you and said, what are a couple of small things I could do or to dip my toe in, where should they start? The first thing is not to start with Charlie Parker, <laughs> you know. That's, that's like starting with advanced calculus when you should be starting with elementary algebra. You start and you take it in, in little bits of pieces. Listening is very important, but also taking advantage of professionals that are in your community. You don't have to have all of the answers. High school directors can't be expected to be experts on everything. There's a lot of great resources out there. The great thing is, is that there are a lot of things on YouTube now, and directors should take advantage of that. And... You know, by the way, there happens to be this nice little style and articulation book that I happen to write that is, I think, very helpful. I was one of those first year teachers that was like, hey, kids, we all got to listen to Charlie Parker. And I bought the Charlie Parker Omni book and had these kids play through some of those transcriptions. You're right. That's calculus. What is pre-algebra for listening, both for directors and students? I would start with people like Lester Young, Johnny Hodges, Roy Eldridge. Miles is great to listen to because Miles doesn't play necessarily a lot of notes. What you're looking for in terms of jumping in the pool is somebody who doesn't necessarily play a lot of notes but covers the changes is not going to technically freak out your students. Uh, trombone players, of course, everybody jumps immediately to J.J. Johnson, but Curtis Fuller is another one to kind of explore before you jump into J.J. Johnson. Wynton Kelly on the piano. 
it's kind of like you have to learn to walk before you run. You mentioned your text, The Jazz Commandments, Guidelines for Jazz Articulation and Style, which Kendor publishes. You're talking about many of our listeners might come from this conservatory European classical training. What are some things in there that are going to surprise them a little bit? For someone who is not familiar with this music and, and wants to get jazz style figured out, what are they going to find in your book? For one thing, uh, in that book, I deal with common swing rhythm patterns that occur. And the biggest thing that I find is a problem is that sometimes quarter notes are shorter than eighth notes. They've been taught from the time that they started playing their instrument that quarter notes are longer than eighth notes. Now, in jazz, in swing, that's not the case. Another one is the concept of quarter notes being short when they're followed by rest. And you also do a tongue release. That's another thing that is difficult for those who are coming from the classical realm. For precision sake in jazz, the tongue release is appropriate. And I always explain it this way. You play Mozart differently than you do Beethoven or Brahms. And that's the case here. It's a stylistic interpretive nuance that you use to make this music sound appropriate. You mentioned some common stylistic misinterpretations you've encountered. What about as you've traveled the country and listened to students improvise? What are you seeing and hearing teachers most often screwing up as far as teaching jazz improvisation in their jazz band settings? A lot of directors start with the blues scale, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But if that's where you start and you end, that's not going to work because the blue scale doesn't work. You have to get them into understanding changes. So what I would recommend is doing more work just with chord tones, outlining the chord. Now, you can do some generalization with changes on, on a lot of standards. That's why I working with improvisation. Start with easier standards, things like autumn leaves, summertime, tunes like that, that don't necessarily go to a lot of different keys, but they do have changes that you have to cover. Take me for a second into a big band rehearsal or a combo rehearsal of yours, and you know that maybe the students haven't had jazz history class yet. They maybe aren't going to seek out on their own information about the pieces or the musicians that they're trying to copy. How do you work the historical component, the struggle that some of these musicians were facing in society that sometimes generated this music? We got to do more than just teach the notes and the rhythms and style. We need to do a better job of teaching the culture from which this music comes. And I'm curious how that looks in your classroom. Before we even play the piece, we talk about it. This is who it's by. This is what era it comes from. I always incorporated the historical aspect from the outset. I would sometimes assign the students to listen to not necessarily this particular piece, but other pieces by the same composer, other pieces from the same era to get context on how people were playing. I talk about the historical aspects in little pieces. Back to our earlier discussion on repertoire selection, I think if all of us made that rule for ourselves that before we're going to begin rehearsing any piece, we have to talk about it and explain where it's from, 
I think our programming might look a little bit different and it would be far less tempting to just go pull something out of the file cabinet or get the newest bestseller if we're holding ourselves accountable that I have to be able to say something about this music. And if I can't, then we got to pick something else. That might be sort of a remedy to the issue we were discussing earlier. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be a long discussion. You have to introduce them to the time of the piece. When was this piece composed? Why was it composed? Things like that. But you can do it in a short amount of time. You don't have to take up a lot of rehearsal time. Speaking of short amount of time, I want to devote just a short amount of time to your thoughts on the topic of competition. And as we know, the jazz lineage is replete with stories of competition. We've got the great cutting contests of the stride piano players and the the tenor players and musicians competing for spots in bands. I'm curious, how do you think music should look from a competitive standpoint in, say, a middle school or high school music program? Or how should it not look? Middle school is where students get experiences. So I'm not a big fan of heavy-duty competition at the middle school level. High school competition can be healthy if it's used in the proper manner. You know, a lot of people put down competition and say, well, we really shouldn't compete in music. But the reality is our society is competitive and you have to be able to deal with competition. And if you're going into the music business, it's very competitive, especially if you're going into performance. So you have to hone your skills to a point where you can deal with competition. But in a school setting, it has to be done in a healthy way, where it's not about the end game is not the competition itself. But the end game is how well did we do in terms of improving our performance? Did we honor the music? Did we give our best effort? And if we did, then the other things are out of our hands, because you're being adjudicated by people who have their own concepts, their own ideas, their own biases, which always affect how they evaluate a group. So if you can be true to yourself, true to the music, do it the best that you can, put forth your best effort, then you don't worry about the results. Can you think of some phrases or words that you've heard directors use in competition or processing it with their students afterwards or even at an event that make you wince, that make you think, oh, why did they say that? What are some things that directors accidentally say that make it worse rather than better? Saying things like, well, the judges were biased against us today. The judges weren't for us today. The judges didn't really listen to what we did. Things like that. The judges are merely listening to what is presented. And based on that, then we formulate our comments. We make our evaluation. And the good directors are the ones who are eager. That's why I like the type of competitions where you have a chance to go and do a short clinic afterwards. And you can always tell the ones who are not paying attention. They're not going to get anything out of it. You know, they walk in with the tight mouths and everything is like, okay, all right, we got to sit through this clinic thing. But man, we tore it up out there. And then you tell them, no, you didn't. And this is why. That can be a little hard for some directors to take. And by extension, if it's hard for the director to take, it's going to be hard for the student to take because they're not prepared for that. That this is a subjective evaluation of us on this particular day. You get a different set of judges, you're going to get a different evaluation. Admittedly, music educators are less experienced with jazz than they are the other genres. And so we tell them, go seek out advice from experts. 
And in the jazz setting, the easiest way in a lot of locations across the country to get this expert advice is to go to one of these festivals that is competitive in nature. And it becomes challenging, yes, when we sort of are trying to mix the feedback in with there also being a trophy or a ranking or a rating of some sort as well. You know, I have no problems with the trophies if that is used to improve the level of the band. If it's only about winning the trophy, then you failed your students. So it has to be about more than just getting the trophy. It has to be about, are we getting the style right? Are we improvising well? And that's typically what I say a lot to directors. Hey, the ensemble sounds great, but when the solos start, it sounds like a totally different band because all of the time, rehearsal time, and all of the effort has been put into the ensemble. And kind of to tie that back to our earlier discussion, all of the effort and rehearsal time has been tied into what has historically been the white-valued part of music, the European-valued part of music, the what was on the page, and the historically associated with black part of the music, the improvisation, the style, that's the part that gets failed. My hope, I don't know about yours, and maybe I'm being naively optimistic, is that with this renewed emphasis on social justice and being more sensitive to cultural issues, is that more directors will think of focusing on improv, focusing on style as a social justice, as a way to integrate that into their curriculum, that we're showing some things that are important and different from what we might be doing in concert band. It will happen if directors are not fearful. The biggest issue for directors is fear of the unknown. Improvisation is the unknown. And when they have that fear, there's a tendency not to want to go near the pool. I don't want to dip my toe in that pool because I'm not sure about that. I'm sure about these other things, but that's, that's where we need to go. Jerry, thank you for joining us today and sharing your insight on these important issues. I'd like to close with a uh, quick lightning round on a few lighter topics, if you're up for it. Okay. Best place to eat in Louisville? Vincenzo's, which is an Italian restaurant. Great Italian food. It's homemade. The chefs are from Italy. And if you come to Louisville, you have to eat at Vincenzo's. What's a favorite piece of music or composer you wish more people knew and programmed with their jazz bands? People need to be probably more aware of the music of people like Mary Lou Williams, who's a great composer, great arranger, and Chick Webb. Those are probably the two. Chick Webb's band was just an incredible swinging band. And the stuff that Mary Lou Williams wrote was incredible as well. And she doesn't necessarily get a lot of attention as a composer and arranger. You have a guilty pleasure song or band that you might sing along with in the car? Well, I tell you, I listen to a lot of stuff. And, and so rolling down the road, it would not be surprising to hear me singing Stevie Wonder or some Marvin Gaye or some Luther Vandross. And finally, is there a film you've seen so many times you've basically got it memorized, but you'll still happily watch it again? One that, that I've watched a lot and that I typically uh, turn to is The American President with uh, Michael Douglas and uh, Annette Bening. Yeah, some great Aaron Sorkin writing on that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Jerry Tolson, thank you very much for joining us today. Jerry, it's so great to see you again. It's great to see you guys, and uh, thank you for inviting me. It was a great time. You've been listening to Music Ed Insights. Please support this podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing it. We want to make this as thoughtful and practical as possible. Please send us your ideas for guests and suggestions for improvement. You can do that through our website, www.musicedinsights.com. You can also reach us on our Facebook page, Music Ed Insights, or via Twitter, at Music Ed Insights. 
websites. Our website is also the place to find program notes, links, and a one-page download of this episode's key takeaways. That's www.musicedinsights.com. This podcast is sponsored and supported by Normal Design, Winterset Websites, Group Dynamic, and the Co-College Music Education Program. Learn more about them at our website. And let us know if your business or organization would like to join that list. New episodes drop every two weeks on Monday mornings. Get current. Stay relevant. Music Ed Insights.